Amen. Thank you guys so much. Let me tell you a story. On September 13th, 1987, do you remember where you were on that day by any chance? September 13th, 1987, some 29 years ago. On that date, there was a little group that gathered uh, over on Denton Tap in what used to be a post office and a shopping center. And on that day, for the very first time, a church gathered to worship. And that church was the Riverside Church of Christ. It's pretty cool, huh? They gathered, and the cool thing was, Capel was starting to grow and, and grow rapidly. And at the same time, this little church began to grow and grow rapidly. So much so that before long, they had to go from one worship gathering, then to two worship gatherings to accommodate all the people who wanted to come and be a part of this new church that was doing a new thing in this new place. And before long, they looked around and they realized they had to do something different. There wasn't enough room. There wasn't enough space in that location. So they began to look for a new location. And on March 31st, 1994, they broke ground here in this location. And you'll see some familiar faces on that picture. Some of the, the people who were a part of breaking ground that day still are an enormous part of the lifeblood of this church. They did that on March 31st, 94, and then a few short months later, on February 26th, 1995, people gathered here in this place to worship for the very first time. And since that time, Riverside has been been known in this community as a place that's for this community. It's done incredible things in its in its history, in this place. And the story reminds me of what can happen when a group of generous people gather around a common vision. It's amazing what God can do with a group of people when they gather in faith around a common vision. And now today, you know this because you're here this morning, every week more than 400 people gather in this place to worship Jesus every week. Uh, there's 40 different adults every week who serve, and, and these aren't teachers. These are just people that serve to make worship possible so that it can happen every week. They serve in the lobby. They serve in our, our technical booth, sound booth. They serve on the praise team. They serve as you know, greeters and welcomers. They, they serve making communion. They serve in so many ways to facilitate the worship that we enjoy every week. Another 50 adults are teaching either in uh, our children's ministry or our youth ministry or our adult ministry. Every week, 50 different adults are teaching every single week. We have over 200 40 people that attend a Bible class, children all the way up through adults every week. Another 200 people are involved in a small group. 13 families just this year have placed membership at Riverside and they've decided to make Riverside their faith family, a place that they can call home. That doesn't count the hundreds, literally hundreds of visitors we have had this year and the thousands of visitors we have online every month. I want to tell you, there's a lot of good going on in this church and in this place. Amen? Amen. There's a lot of good. That's just a recap of some of the good things that are going on and some of the, the incredible ways you serve and you give of your time, your talent. But not only that, do you realize that every year this church gives around probably a little more than a million dollars in just your weekly giving? 
And every dime, every dollar goes towards ministry and mission and outreach. It goes so that we can, we can teach our kids about Jesus and our youth can, can do incredible things to both learn and experience God and our adults have incredible opportunities and resources at their fingertips. And so much happens every week. So many people get to hear the gospel and experience God because of what you give annually every single week and every single year. Not only that, but you know this, that you go above and beyond. I talked about it earlier in our welcome, but you know, last year you gave over $77,000 on Harvest Sunday and every dime of that money went exact, expressly to the purpose of, of missions and outreach. And we're hoping to do that again next Sunday or we even go above and beyond that. Not only that, but you gave over $6,000 to Christian Works this year, a ministry that's very near and dear to the heart of this church that helps so many kids, so many families. That doesn't even count what you gave to things like backpacks for Honduras or Magi boxes for the Dominican Republic or one of the other countless ways and opportunities that, you, that you've, you've given and that you've helped support this year. I say all that to say this. I know we're in a series on generosity, but I want you to know you are generous. You are an incredibly generous group of people. And what excites me is the fact that when we come together around a common vision, we get to experience, don't we? We get to experience God doing incredible things in and among us. And it makes me wonder, what could we do today? What could we do today? Riverside's always been known as such a generous church. And people, people ask me quite often, I don't know why they ask me, you know, but they ask me, they're like, you know, Corey, what is, you know, what's, what's, what's the vision of Riverside? Like, what's, what are you guys doing? What are you for? What are you about? What's going on? You know, and I think what they're asking, I think what you are asking when you ask me that question, I think what you're really asking, I could be wrong, but I think what you want to know is, is what's next? Like, we know what we've done, but where are we going? What's, what's next for us? And the, the way I always think about that question, at least for me, and maybe this is true for you, but it's, it's really a return to where we started that I think that what was true then is true now, that we want to be a church that's in the city and that's for the city. We want to be a place where we continue to bring our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our kids' friends to this church to experience the friendship we have with each other and the friendship that we have with God. That's how this church began. That's how this church grew. And that's what we want to be about today. I think that we want to do what we've always done or always had a heart to do at least, to share the love that God has for the world with the world. And it makes me think, you know, what, 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 what would really happen in this place if we caught the vision that God has for us? If the vision that we have is the same vision that God has? And what would happen if the people of uncommon generosity gathered around a common vision of what could be and what should be? So there's a really cool story in Exodus. I know I'm taking you way back again to one of these ancient stories of what happened in the, the history of God's people. But if you have a Bible, if you want to open it up or turn it on to Exodus 35, we're going we're gonna to start there and here in just a moment. Just to, just to catch you up to this part of the story, I want, uh, you, you, you probably know it. If you've never heard it, it's, it's a pretty amazing story. I would encourage you to go and read it because God's people have been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. And God has just rescued them from, from this slavery in Egypt. 
and he's brought them out. He did it in a pretty miraculous way. You may have heard about the 10 plagues he put on Egypt to, let, to, to finally, so the favor would let his people go. And, and he finally did. But as soon as they left, uh, he changed his mind and he decided, I can't do this. I can't let my slave labor force go because it would destroy my economy. And so he sent his army after, after the, the Israelites, after his, his slaves that were now escaping. And, and they got to the Red Sea and Israel's thinking, oh no, we've got water in front of us and we've got the, the Egyptian army behind us. What are we going to do? And God says, don't be afraid. They're like, no, really. There's water in front of us and there's an army behind us and we're unarmed. We've been slaves for hundreds of years. We've got no training. We don't know what to do, what's going to happen. And God does this incredible miracle where he just divides the Red Sea. You've heard the story into two parts. And the children of Israel walk through on dry ground, an amazing, unbelievable deal. And as soon as the last Israelite steps out, and the Egyptian army is, is, is coming in behind them between these two walls of water, and God lets the waters go, and the Egyptian army is defeated, and Israel is set free. And now the people of God are no longer slaves. Now they're a people. And not just a people, they are the people of God. And it's an incredible story of how God is, is just saving and rescuing his people and leading them. And, and then they don't know where to go. So God literally, physically decides to lead them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. And if, you know, if you've tracked the story of God at all, he descended in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And he walked with them in the cool of Eve. And now he's descending again, literally in the presence of his new people. And he's leading them with a cloud by day. This pillar of cloud is, is leading them. They're following it. And then at night, it glows and it turns into what looks like fire. And it shows them where to go and it shows them where to stop. It shows them where to camp. God, again, is descending and literally leading his people. But God knows that this can't last forever. He needs a different way to be present with his people. And so he decides, I want you, my people, to build a place. Now, eventually, this, there's going to be a temple but we're not there yet because these people are still kind of wandering. So he needs more of a temporary home. And so he wants the people of Israel to build him a tabernacle. And that's a big, long, fancy word for tent. He wants to build a place where, where he can be among his people and his people can be among him, where he can dwell with them and, and be very present with them in a very real way where they can worship and come to know him and experience him like they never, ever have before. And so God meets with the one he chose to be their leader, Moses, and he gives them this instruction. And I don't know if you've ever read the story. It's a pretty unbelievable story. But I want us to read it today. Exodus 35, we'll start in verse 4. Listen to what God tells Moses and how the people respond when Moses relays God's desire and God's heart. Exodus 35, verse 4. Then Moses said to the whole community of Israel, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take a sacred offering for the Lord. And let those with generous hearts... Present the following gifts to the Lord. Here's the list. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ramskins dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant lice uh, incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and the breastpiece. In other words, here are the things, the resources that you can give, that you can offer, and that you can bring as generous givers. Then verse 10, come, all of you who are gifted craftsmen and construct everything that the Lord has commanded. And here's the list, verse 11. The tabernacle with its tent and its covering, clasped frames, crossbars, posts, and bases. The ark with its poles and the atonement cover and the curtain that shields it. The table with its poles and all its articles and the bread of the presence. The lampstand that is uh, for light with its accessories, lamps and oil for light. 
The altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the, cer- the curtain for the doorway at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles and all its utensils, the bronze basin with its stand, the curtains of the courtyard with its posts and bases, the curtain for the entrance to the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the courtyard and their ropes, the woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary, both the sacred garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests. Here are all the the things I need you to, to do and to make. I need all the craftsmen, all those with you and talents and abilities to come and to make these things. And create these things so that the tabernacle can, can not only be built, but then have all that it needs to serve the function of providing a place for the presence of God to dwell among you. So listen to what happens in verse, verse 20. So the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. Verse 21. All whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle, for the, for the performance of its rituals, and for the sacred garments. Both men and women came, all whose hearts were willing. They brought to the Lord their offerings of gold, brooches, earrings, rings from their fingers, and necklaces. They presented gold objects of every kind as a special offering to the Lord. Verse 29. So the people of Israel, every man and woman who was eager to help in the work the Lord had given them through Moses, brought their gifts and gave them freely to the Lord. So the people of God now are are going back to their tents and they're coming back out with everything that they have been asked to offer. And they're giving generously towards this vision. Let's skip down to Exodus 36 in verse 2. So Moses summoned uh, Bezalel and Aholiab, easy for me to say, and all the others who were specially gifted by the Lord and were eager to get to work. And Moses gave them the materials donated by the people of Israel as sacred offerings for the completion of the sanctuary. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Listen. But the people continued to bring additional gifts each morning. Verse 4. Finally, the craftsmen who were working on the sanctuary left their work, and they went to Moses, and they reported, The people have given more than enough materials to complete the job the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave the command, and this message was sent throughout the camp. Men and women, don't prepare any more gifts for the sanctuary. We have enough. So the people stopped bringing their sacred offerings. Their contributions were more than enough to complete the whole project. Isn't that an amazing story? I mean, Moses had to literally go to the people and say, stop giving. You're giving too much. You're being too generous. Uh, We've got more than enough to do what God has asked us to do. We know that, that God asked us to build this incredible deal, this incredible tabernacle where his presence can be among us. But stop. You've given too much. We can't even use it all. You've been more than generous. And so, so Moses had to go to the people and say, it's, it's enough. You've given more than enough. And again, it's amazing to me what happens when people of uncommon generosity gather around a common vision and they're blessed by God. But it makes me wonder, why, why did they give? And I don't do this very often, but I thought today I I wanted to share with you three reasons why I think they gave. And see if you you agree with these. One, they built, they gave because they wanted to build a tabernacle where God could be present among his people and where the people could be present among God. Think about the vision that they were giving to. We want to build a place where, 
where now the God of Israel, the God of angel armies, the God who rescued us from Egypt, can literally and physically and tangibly be present with us where we are and wherever we go. And then second, I think they gave. Think about this. These people are slaves. They just came out of slavery. They don't have much. Why do they give? They gave because when you've experienced the goodness of God in the past, you're not afraid to trust God with the future. I think this is huge because you know what I've noticed about people? People who are afraid don't give. When you're afraid, when you're fearful, you circle the wagons. But for us as people of faith, when we remember God's goodness in the past, it sets us free to give in the future. When we operate out of a place of faith, we're free to give. But when we live in a place of fear, we're just not. You you know this. You've probably experienced this when, for whatever reason, things went bad or things weren't going well in your work or wherever your income comes from. And so all of a sudden you start tightening the belt, tightening the budget, tightening where you spend, tightening where you give because you're afraid. And people who are afraid don't give. But they gave. They gave when they probably didn't have very much. And why did they give? Because they had just experienced God's incredible goodness. They remembered literally how God had rescued them and saved them. So they had no fear. They had no fear to give. They were free to give because they had experienced God's goodness. And then last, I think they gave because they had a common vision to bring God and his rule and his reign from heaven to earth. They wanted to be a part of the generation that brought the presence of God back from heaven to earth. So yeah, yeah, we'll give, and we won't give just what we have. We'll give, we'll give more than you need. We'll keep giving until you say stop giving because we want to be a part of the generation that brings God and his rule and his reign back from heaven to earth. We want to be a part of making things on earth as they are in heaven here and now as God comes and literally dwells among us as we erect this tabernacle, this place for God and the spirit of God and the presence of God to literally and tangibly and physically be with us and among us. And as I read that story and I just, as I've been thinking about this all week, it made me ask this question. Why do you give? Why? Why do you give? If I had to guess, some of us, a lot of us, most of us, I don't know the numbers. A lot of us give out of obedience and we talked about that last week. We feel like the Bible teaches us to give and so we're going to give out of a sense of obedience. It's a, it's not a requirement, but it is something that we believe in as part of the people of God as his church, that this is what we do. And so it's obedient to do that. And so we give a, a plan percentage of our income to the local church because we feel like it's the right thing to do. But what if we didn't just give out of obedience? What if we gave out of a sense of vision? Here's what I think happens to a lot of churches. And, and some of you in this room, you probably have more experience with this than I do. And you can either validate this or say it's untrue. But In my experience, it seems like what happens to a lot of churches is that they do exactly what Riverside did. They gather in a small place and they begin to meet. And if I have the numbers right, I think in those early days, there were about 60 people gathering and meeting in the shopping center. And then it just started to grow like crazy. And then together as a group, they get this vision that, that, hey, let's, let's, let's get some land, let's build a building. And so together they go all in and they give and they give generously because they have a common vision to build a place to build a church. And they build a church and then they fill the church. And then what happens to most churches, to a lot of churches, I think, 
is that then they're done. They stop growing. They plateau. Because they've accomplished their mission and vision. They built a building. They filled it. And that was it. It's kind of like this. You know, it's kind of like what if a group of people got together and they said, hey, let's, let's build a cruise ship and it's going to be amazing. It's going to have all these incredible amenities and we're going we're to take it out in the ocean. It's going to be incredible. And so they get together and they, they give to it and they build it and they deck it out and then they get on it and they go and they launch out and they're floating in the ocean and it's awesome. They're enjoying the beauty of the sunrise and the sunset and the ocean breeze and the smell of the salt water and it's just incredible. But over time, they begin to realize, well, the cruise ship, it isn't playing the kind of music I like, you know? And I, I gave money to this, and I really think it should, it should be the way I like it. So I'm going to go say something to that person over there, and we're going we're gonna to get this fixed. And then this guy over here, he starts getting upset because the food isn't quite, it's not the menu that he had planned or prepared or what, what, what meets his needs or his taste. And so, yeah, let's, we need to fix that. We need to figure that out. And then this person over here, they get upset about, you know, something else that happened on the cruise ship. And you need to know that, that I moved my family to this place to build this ship so I could get on this ship. And now we're on the ship, and things aren't going the way I want them to. And, and then this person over here, they want to rearrange the chairs, but this person over here doesn't like the way they're being rearranged. And all of a sudden, you know what happens to a boat that's out in the middle of the ocean that's just floating along? All the focus turns inside the boat. And everybody's getting upset about what's going on inside the boat. And they spend all their time rearranging the chairs on the cruise ship, but they're not going anywhere. But what if? What if that same group of people caught a vision for a new destination? What if all of a sudden, maybe they, somebody spied land out of the corner of their eye? Like, that looks like a beautiful place. We got to go there. And somebody else says, yeah, you're right. Let's do it. And somebody else says, yeah, I'll help. And all of a sudden, word spreads throughout the cruise ship and everybody gets excited. And a group goes down to the, to the bottom of the belly of the boat and they get the turbines going again. And somebody else grabs the map and says, I'll help navigate. Somebody else grabs the binoculars and they climb up in the crow's nest and say, hey, I'll look out for what's ahead. And somebody else says, hey, I'll, I'll help. What can I do? I'll, tell me what to do. I'll go, I'll go help this as well. And so they start pulling up anchors and somebody else says, hey, I'll do this job and I'll do that job. And all of a sudden now, everybody in the cruise ship is working together because they've got a destination. They've got a direction. They've got a place that they're all trying to go together. And it makes me think, man, sometimes churches and maybe we as a church maybe it's time to pull up our anchors and to set our sights on the mission and vision of God I love what Ed Stetzer says he says God's church doesn't have a mission God's mission has a church can you buy into that God's church doesn't have a mission some of you are asking what What's our mission? What's our vision? Let me tell you, God's mission has a church. Like, we're the plan. We're it. This is God's, this is God's big idea, so I hope you like it. He wants to use us to share the love that he has for the world with the world. And it's time. It's time to catch the vision that God has for us. That we could be a part. We could be a part of that vision. And let me tell you, that's something worth giving to. We sang it a while ago, we can give all the money we want, but we're talking about giving your entire life away to the mission and the vision of God, to sharing the love that God has for the world with the world. And here's what I believe is absolutely true. You can take it to the bank, that when we give together, we experience God together. 
When we give together to the mission, the vision of God, we will experience God together. If we're not experiencing God together, it's probably because we're not giving together. When we sacrificially give together, when we become a people of uncommon generosity together, we will experience the presence and the spirit of God in this place. It happens over and over and over again throughout scripture, and it can happen again here today in this place. Because when we become a people of uncommon generosity, when we gather around a common vision, we will together experience God again in this place. And this is what God is calling us to do. It's who who he's calling us to be. And what I want to do is I'm going to invite you to give to the mission and vision of God in this place. That's what I want to invite you to do. Give out of obedience if you need to, absolutely. I believe in that. I believe there's a blessing in that. But give towards the mission and vision of God. Because he has called the church to be his vehicle, to carry his message of hope from heaven to earth. And his plan is you and me, his church, to be the vehicle that carries that hope. And so what you and I get to do is we get to be ambassadors of that hope, stewards of that hope, givers of that hope, sharers of that hope. If you're like me, you know people in this community. Maybe they go to work with you or you see them at the grocery store every week or wherever you go at Starbucks when you're standing in line, it's the same person. You've gotten to know them over and over again by seeing them every, every day, some of you who are addicts to coffee. <laughs> Unlike me. Just kidding. You know, you know your kids' friends, you know the, 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 the parents on the ball team or the, the band or whatever your kids, the ballet, whatever they do. And, and so many of them. You know, what's, what's interesting about where we live is so many people know about God. And they'll even tell you. I had somebody yesterday tell me they're, they're believers in God, but they don't have a church. They don't have a church. And so many people are just waiting on an invitation. And you and I get to be those people that invite them. To invite them to come and to experience what we have come to experience. The friendship that exists in this place that we have in this room. With each other and with God. What wouldn't you do to help someone have an encounter with Jesus Christ? I guarantee there's not one of you that wouldn't bend over backwards. Wouldn't it be great if what happened in those early days of Riverside happened again? That we had to go to two services, three services. Hey, I would preach all day just so you know. (laughs) I've already got it. I I can do it again. (gasps) To help more and more people know and to come to hear the hope and the love of Jesus Christ. Church, would you stand with me? In those early days, the people of God came and they gathered and they gave to build a tabernacle. Later on, that would become a temple where the presence of God would, would dwell. But I don't need you to give today to build a tabernacle or to build a temple. Paul would later say that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. And you're built up as a temple because of the generosity of God. It's because he gave that we gather today. It's because he gave that I'm looking at a temple. I'm looking at a tabernacle. I'm looking at the spirit of God inside of you, church. 
and you were God's plan, you were God's masterpiece, you were God's idea, and you were the carriers of the hope of God. And so we give. We give with uncommon generosity because we have a common vision to share the hope and the message of the Lord Jesus Christ with anyone and everyone who would come to know him and come to hear him. And it's your job, church, to carry his name and to carry it well this week and to be generous givers of hope. May we be a people of uncommon generosity. Let's sing.